Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. This is Jason Archer. We're recording under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. And today we continue the mission to arm humans with the tools to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness with my next guest, Sean Johnson. I had the opportunity of meeting Sean at Brooke Walker's recent event, and man, does she have a story to tell. <laughs> so uh, I am excited to have you on. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, for those of you guys who are just tuning in, obviously you don't know this, but we recorded one podcast already. <laughs> we just didn't hit record. So now we're going to come back and do it all over again and uh, maybe go into some more detail. So let's start at the beginning and um, tell us a little bit about your story coming up, uh, a little bit about your early childhood and you know what started to create the person that you became today. Okay, so I'll make it shorter than our first unrecorded <laughs> Don't leave anything out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, so I come from, uh, I'm one of five children. Um, my parents are still married, but they were married before. So my mom was married at 17, had twins at 19 and then divorced shortly after my dad was married young, had uh, my brother when he was 20 and then divorced shortly after. And then, then it met and then, uh, moved from Utah to Arizona when they were pregnant with me. So I'm born and raised in Arizona, me and my younger brother are so we're natives i love arizona yes Uh, yes (laughs) but with that so part of the story of is they're all from utah my family lives in utah except for my mom's mom my grandma moved out and followed us to arizona short i don't i don't know the time frame all i've known is her out here so not too long after i was born but uh the whole history is out in Utah and with Utah is the Mormon religion. And, um, with that, I will just claim this because if I'm is Mormon religion speaks to some, it doesn't to me. Uh, my whole family is that way. I love my family dearly and I respect their views. Um, and they, uh, respect mine, I think. Um, <laughs> and so you hope. I hope, um, but, and I think we're in a good place now with, with everything that's evolved, but Um, It's different ideas. So even though my parents decided that it wasn't for them, it wasn't their truth, and they raised us in a non-Mormon home, you know, we still had those values. Like, uh, I wasn't able to go on a date until I was 16, but I had a boyfriend at 15, but he was cute at the time. He honored that and would bring me home at 9.15 and then talk to my parents. And he waited until I was 16. So I think it was the actual 16th birthday. Outside of getting my driver's license that day, he took me on a date. It's <laughs> better than Christmas for him, you know. know. It was cute. He was a really good guy. He was a great guy, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, but some of those values, and I respect my parents for, you know, my dad has read, I think, every religious book. And, you know, wanted to instill values. I didn't open a Bible till I was 19 years old. But it's interesting having a family that's so enriched in the religion. You know, my mom's side goes all the way back to Brigham Young. I mean, my fourth great grandfather's a polygamist and I come from the second wife. Oh, wow. So, so you guys literally traced it back. Mm-hmm. You have your family tree. Oh, yeah. I think Ancestry.com is is a lot of that came from the Mormon records. Wow. They are so good at doing that, which is amazing. And I love that. It's it's cool to know where you come from, right? We have that need to know where we come from. So, um, But with that, with growing up, since I was 17, even my uncle's like, any prospects for marriage? You know? <laughs> and then I, I wouldn't even go on a, before I even went on a date with somebody, like I didn't mention this earlier, but like 
before I even went on a date, you know, everyone sounds good on paper. That's why you lead you to a date. So okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, if you end up marrying him, just make sure. And I was like, well, wait, I don't even know if he's rude to the waiter or how he is with lost luggage. You know, those important questions that you need to know. Um, so it's just, yeah, so that it's been enriched in that. So I, with that, I've been fascinated with relationships because I had that di- dynamic where even though my parents were, there was still those values that rang through and my influencers are in my life were a lot of my family. So, um, and having that battle of being now in Arizona, that wasn't that way. And you get, you know, go to school and get a job and live your life and find yourself and then get married and do all that. I don't think they expected me to be almost 36 and not married, not even close to having kids, Right, right. <laughs> you know? but they were like, you got to find yourself. And so thank goodness I have now. Uh, yeah, 17 was a long time ago. A long That's time when they started ago. shopping you around the, the community, <laughs> right? 19 years ago. <laughs> hey, have uh, you met my daughter? Uh, yeah. Oh gosh. Oh, <laughs> certain stories but so I'm curious though if if you guys continue to live so many of the values that they you know that they were brought up with why did they end up leaving the church or the religion or what have you I think my dad actually followed a job he followed solar out to Arizona I used to think that you know and I know it wasn't for them it wasn't the life for them and I used to think it was that but I think just recently my dad had said that they followed I think a solar job out here and then ended up staying and loving it so, so they just weren't near the community anymore? Weren't, yeah, weren't, weren't near the community. That was funny. Growing mm-hmm. up, I had some of my close friends that were Mormon, you know, and here in Arizona. So it was still those connections that we stay. But yeah, uh, that's what brought them out here. Yeah. What is it that makes the Mormon community so close-knit? Like, it seems like uh, everyone knows everyone, you it's know. the way the culture is. And that's a, and I don't know if I can fully justify that answer. I... I know just from seeing it and seeing my family, I mean, that that's just the culture is where it's like all about community and they um, and building that life together and even their wards where everyone knows each other. They all help each other when someone's getting married. Everyone comes together and brings food, you know, because there it's more like a potluck style weddings, you know, because you go in the temple like me. I can't go into the temple, but I can hang out outside until they come out now they're husband and wife, you know, and it's like clockwork every 10 minutes, there's a new bride and groom, you know, and, uh, it's, I mean, it's cool. It's cool for them, you know? And so, and I hang outside and then it's people bring food and it's usually in the, you know, basketball court and whatever, but I don't, I, I say all that. That's not necessarily answering the question. It's just organically. That's just, I guess, how the religion's built and how the community, which is cool. And they've got strong family values. And so I love a lot of those aspects. So totally I'm proud right. of I'm proud of my family and I'm proud of where I come from. Even though we see religion and spirituality different, um, we celebrate our differences. Yeah, for sure. There's there's some something to be said for actually following a doctrine. You know, mm-hmm. whether you agree with it or not, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's say you know you're not Mormon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if someone claims to be, mm-hmm. then shouldn't they follow the doctrine that they you know claim to adhere to? Right? Like uh, the church thing you mm-hmm. mentioned. I had a friend of mine who was married. Uh, in the church, but the parents weren't Mormon. There was a conversion and they weren't allowed to go to the wedding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so they were all bent out of shape because, you know, because of that, which I understand, but I also understand the fact that they knew what they were getting into Mm -hmm. when they signed on to get to create this marriage. Right. And so on some level, you have to honor the fact that these people are like, no, it's black and white. We're going to do it this way. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. And, but you know, and then, yeah, I, to your point, it is cool when you, when you do that. Me, I'm this hippy dippy child. That's like, love. <laughs> let's see. Oh, squirrel. What's this? What's that? <laughs> Open to exploring that. So I, I feel a bit of a, a lovingly, I say this term lovingly, but a black sheep a little bit of the family, but that's okay. You're loved and isolated. <laughs> I wouldn't say isolated. I know that kind of takes away from the black sheep definition, but just, you know, we're just, thinking a little differently. Right. So. You, you live in the Siberia of your family. Maybe. I guess <laughs> so. Or my immediate family does. And we all kind of think a little different. I don't know. So, but in a loving way. Right. So, yeah. So how does that relationship work when your families come together? Because I'm assuming you guys still get together from time to time. Yeah, we do. And I'm super close with all of them, which is awesome. But no, we, I mean, you know, they're like my aunt, my aunt's popping in my head. Um, she's so cute. She's always like, was, you know, I know how your dating world is out there, but you know, how is it going and what's going on here? And they're like, they're they're uh, or when I go out there, no, do you want to come to the church with us? But anyway, so they, uh, I need to answer the question, stick to the point. Um, it's awesome. <laughs> we all just celebrate our differences and you know, there's a lot going on in the world we talk about and we, you know, and they share church stories and we share our stories and we just celebrate who we are as a family and love each other for where we're at. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah. That's amazing. And I can totally see you doing that. You know, mm -hmm. you just give off such beautiful energy. Mm. One of the things that really struck me when I met you at Brooks mm -hmm. event was you were just so warm and welcoming. Mm -hmm. And I got the sense that you were actually listening to me when I was speaking to you. Mm -hmm. And then so as we conversed a little bit deeper, you went into this idea that you thought of yourself more as an empathic person, mm -hmm. as someone who really feels. Mm -hmm. Can you dive down that rabbit hole a little bit and explain what you mean by that? Yeah, so I recently had somebody tell me that I was clairsentient because um, there's clairvoyant where you see and then clairsentient is more about feeling. Mm. Um, so, but I, there's the empath though where we take on people's energies and we, I am very sensitive to other people's energies and what's going on and a lot of times I can, if I really want to, I can kind of guess of where they're at um, emotionally and physically and what they're feeling and and now, um I just, I feel, I feel you. I feel you, Jason. <laughs> I mean, you got good you, high dog. vibes right now, but like I, when I'm with somebody, I see them and I feel them. I'm, yeah. I work very hard at being present with them and honoring who they are and, and listening. And we all, everyone wants to be acknowledged and felt, but I want to, I have a desire to connect with people, but to truly connect, you have to see their side. Right. And I feel their side, whether they say it or not, and I can pick up on certain things. And so even just recently, I had someone that's come into my life in the recent years, and I can tell a lot's going on in his life. And um, and I, I try to test of when they're ready to really take it to the next level, and then I introduce them to certain things. But, um, you know, it's honoring where they're at, too. Um, I have a desire to, when I feel that, trying to listen to where they are and then try to go, are we ready to go to the next level? Do you want to? Because those who are hurt, hurt others. And those who are healed, heal others. And so, I have the desire to heal. So when you say go to the next level, what do you mean by that? Dive deeper. So the next level, when people are wanting to, when you want to heal, you have to dive deep. Mm. And that was for me, me really having to dive deep. So this is something I didn't share in our first podcast. Um, <laughs> so that'll kind of propel into what um, so last year, about this time last year, I was crying on my couch from a breakup and I'd only been in with him a few months and, uh, he and I are still friends and he's heard me talk about all this and we're still, you know, I'm very open, honest conversation, but he broke up with me 
And then I was crying on my couch and it wasn't necessarily crying about him. It was going, why do I keep ending up here? And I had to dive deep. At that point, I was ready to dive deep. So when I say dive deep, people have to be ready to willing to face themselves in the mirror. And it's scary to look at yourself and admit you have faults. We all have pride ourselves and there's this world of looking, you know, we think that having that mask on and we have to be tough cookies to survive in life when really it's just the opposite. You have to be vulnerable. There's strength in vulnerability. You can't have strength without being vulnerable, in my opinion. I mean, mm-hmm. you can be strong and tough, and uh, but if you really open yourself to that vulnerability and address that, there's the strength is far more powerful and infinite so, in any way. So what does that look like for you when you say strength and vulnerability? What does that mean in practice? In practice? Yeah. Um, oh, that's a good question. Um, being vulnerable and sharing your story. Mm-hmm. So, and I know... Uh, it's sharing that truth, sharing the root, being going, yeah, I suck at this for this reason. Or one thing that I've been really opening up and I had to acknowledge within myself of just how much of a people pleaser I was of, you know, I'm having my hands out in front of me going, tell me who you want me to be. Tell me I will be whatever you want to be. And doing that to everyone around me and just people pleasing in that way where that's no way to find myself. So identifying and working on that and then sharing that with people People resonate with that because a lot of people are, are people pleasers at the deep, and they're like, yes, I, I, yes, I am that. And when you dive in deep, I've, I have been oh, so hungry for articulation because so long I held back my voice because I was so petrified what people thought of me, and I was so, so much of wanting people to like me and being a people pleaser that I held back how I really felt about things and it led to scoliosis and degeneration and all that stuff in my you know but learning the throat chakra has something to do with that so um the more you can open up and share that this is released my neck has released but then sharing that with people it allows them to open up and identifying that and when you can the truth shall set you free that is the root. So now to re- truly answer your question, it's re- saying the truth. You, no one holds anything over you anymore. Mm-hmm. When you can share that, then they can't hurt you because you're like, I already told you, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is my truth. You know? <laughs> so there's nothing to hide. And there's so much freedom in that to go, this is me. Whether you like it or not, I'm not perfect. I give myself permission to be flawed and to trust the process, and I don't have it all figured out, but the train's going to keep moving. It's going to keep going to its destination. It may have some stops along the way, but I'm not going to stop, and I'm going to keep growing and learning and trust that I'm never going to really be at that destination, but I'm always going to work towards it, but that's where the strength and vulnerability is. Did I answer that right? Okay. (laughs) Well, I'm not grading you, so... (laughs) Right or wrong is irrelevant. I'm an a- I want to be an A plus yeah. student here. So I know <laughs> you brought your notes and everything. I love it. <laughs> I know. The uh, I think the thing that that stood out for me when you were explaining that was that coming from this place of wanting to please people. Mm-hmm. I think underneath that, for a lot of us, is this fear of being rejected. This fear of ostracization. Mm-hmm. If I say the wrong thing, or if I wear or look or be the wrong person or yep. whatever in the moment, that suddenly I'm going to be ostracized and alone. Yeah. And it sounded like what I took from that was you stepped into vulnerability by, excuse me, by actually sharing your real emotions, your real feelings, Mm -hmm. what you were really thinking Mm -hmm. at the time in front of people who 
could potentially hurt you by ostracizing you. Yep. That's exactly true. Yeah. Yeah. It's taking that brave step, but it was the only way. And we, what the people make decisions off of pain or pleasure. And what is it? I'm going to sound smart. It's probably a made up number, but some high number of 80% (laughs) choose to what's going to be less painful. And for me, it was more painful. I reached that point in my life where it was more painful to hold it in and not say it than it was to share it. Mm-hmm. It was, I am scared to death. I'm going to do this. But it's more painful if I keep holding it in. Yeah. So there's kind of a dichotomy there, though, because, you know, as an empathic person, you know, mm-hmm. taking on the way people feel, you know, when you say what you really mean mm-hmm. or if you truly feel like you can be honest with someone you run the risk of you know (laughs) pissing them off or whatever the case may be and then you have to take that on as an empath or am I missing that no I no you're not missing that at all I I it is I don't know I'm a black sheep (laughs) 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 I I don't know I I I get told that I'm different a lot Mm -hmm. and I get told that I'm special a lot and I'm always like, thank you. <laughs> but I also, too, it's, I have that desire to, I remember my sister, I was running for student council in high school, and she was always like, lead by example. Always be the leader, lead by example. And my sister's an amazing, beautiful, strong, awesome woman, but she would always like, lead by example. And so that rings true for all of this, is I want to live in a world where we can be truthful and share our truths and be honest, be vulnerable, honor where we are in each other's paths, because Life is hard, and it's about choosing the people to go along with it. And I want to build this tribe that's authentic and real, and people can be whatever they want to be, but we, we honor and trust each other, you know. Um, that's what the world I want to have around me. So by doing that, I, I'm me and want to lead by that example, but with that too, the more I've done it, the more those that we are, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe. And now it's all the relationships are have, there's no shallowness to them. They're deep and rich and we know each other's secrets and we help each other through it. And, you know, I mean, one of my girlfriends, you know, just randomly, she, I mean, we have just this raw, authentic thing relationship, but it started, our relationship started where I had my posts on Facebook and what she was going through at the time, we didn't connect. She lived in a world that I didn't understand and she was very guarded and, and it came across as um, shallow. And, but really hearing her story, she's like, we really need to connect. I think you and I have a lot of truths. And we sat down from, I mean, I first met her eight years ago or something. And then just over the last six months, it's been beautiful because we sat down and have these raw, authentic, and she's got a crazy, amazing story. I think she would be amazing to have on this, but she'd have to be ready to, to be on here. But her story, and now we just have this rich, amazing relationship where we mm-hmm. can be real and authentic and we can be like, no, it is a crappy day. And here's what's happening, you know, <laughs> where everyone's like, oh yeah, it's good. It's great. Uh, you know, and we can have that raw, authentic thing. So I don't know if I answered that in a way around about maybe. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so when you're looking at that and you start to embrace this idea of telling people the truth or telling people how you really feel, mm-hmm. what were, what were the, what, what did that feel like as a people pleaser, like stepping out of that, you know, comfort zone and going into this place where, Hey, you know what? I'm not sure how this person's going to respond, but I have to tell them what I feel. What I feel. It's scary. My throat closes my throat and then heart racing stomachs in my mouth. 
And, you know, as if I'm going to jump off a out of an airplane or off a cliff, you know, it, that same feeling consumes me that is equivalent to when I jumped out of a plane and skydived. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. I'm bracing myself, but I know I need to do this. So uh, that's what that feels like, I guess. But it that liberating feeling, I know that's on the other side of doing that. Yeah, for sure. I did that. Yeah. Even as little as that is, just to say, uh, I don't agree with you on this. <laughs> Think about it this way, even if it was lightly instead of going, hold up, you're wrong. You know, it's like being able to do that mm -hmm. and then it opens the dialogue and people suddenly go, oh, she's got an opinion. Mm -hmm. And it's been interesting to see the shift. So it's been as scary as it has been and it's gotten so much easier to do that. I still have my moments where I scared and you know <laughs> and do that but the more I do it it's open in that dialogue and it opens other people to do that too so if it's freeing and liberating on the other side yeah you seem very light you seem very happy I can't uh, imagine you pre you know holding I'm a everything different in. person <laughs> I was talking to I've actually told quite a few people recently because um, they're seeing the shift and I'm and there's a couple of people that I've been okay you're ready for the next stage and then I refer them to my friend Kristen and um, but in that, in sharing that, I go, you know, the, here's my truth here. Here's where I was when we last talked, the person's talking to you today is a very different person. And all of them will go, I hear it in your voice. You are different. And I'm getting a lot of, you look lighter, you look free, you look happy. I just feel like I'm bouncing off the wall. And before I think Julian Huff said it right. And something I saw, but she's like, before I felt like this artificial light, I had to always and I've always everyone's always said you're always so positive and upbeat and but I always felt like it was this artificial light that desire to just always glow no matter what but it was really hard and it drained all my energy but I so badly wanted to be liked and have that right mm -hmm. and and I still want to be that but now it's just this raw authentic where I don't have to think about it I just am and I am that light and so I loved how she said that and it gave me the words to go yes that is what it feels like that is where I'm at that's beautiful. So was there a process that you took yourself through to get to this place? Oh, gosh. I get asked that a lot. I need mm. to, I've gotten better at articulating, I think. But so I think self-development, read books, go to a bookstore, gravitate. What, everyone's journey is different. And that's one thing where people are like, I want to do exactly what you did. I'm going, I can tell you what I did, but it may not resonate with you. You may have different truths. You may have different things. Different people speak to you different in different times. Tony Robbins was huge for me. I've just always gravitated towards him. And some people close to me are mentored by him. And so I just started to gravitate and just doing YouTube and on his page and other people that cut and slice his stuff. And I started listening to him. Um, and then instead of, and I'm that girl that I could live without TV, but my music, I want to dance, I want to sing, I want to, you know, I, I'm that girl that's like dancing while vacuuming, like you find <laughs> dance everywhere. Not that I'm great at it, but I just love moving the body sure. and it's freeing for me. And I forget time when I do that. So, um, I would replace music with podcasts and with his YouTube stuff. And then with that, just listening to him and I, and I'm also that person that, a lot of them, when I find a good one, I save it. And then as people ask me, I'm like, start here. And then you'll find your path throughout it. And there's a few of those, like a Matthew McConaughey one. Um, I've listened. There's a speech. I think it's a speech for the University of 
Texas. I, I think, think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. the 40 it's minute. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really I good. have this is not an exaggeration. Probably 15 or 16 times I've listened to it. Really? Because it's so dense with pieces of knowledge and even just his truths and how he found his truth in various stories that he tells. I mean, just a story on, you know, talking about when he was on Dazed and Confused and his character, and he just was so hungry for screen time, and there was that one scene that was not authentic to the character, but he was so excited, and now he looks at it and he goes, I shouldn't have been there. And just the, but him telling that story and not having this cut version, because there's another cut version where it takes that 40 minutes down to 10 minutes, and I've listened to both, and I'm like, no, the 40 minutes is far better because, you know, it's enough to just, where they're like, yeah, it's important, it's just as important to where you are as where you are not. That was his message. But the cut version only says that. I'm sorry, but that, okay, people are like, yeah, get it, but you don't get the context behind it. And right. when he shares that story, it deepens the understanding. This is the importance of story. And why I've been so hungry in sharing mine and listening and, and learning from others because I find my truth throughout it and I help others find theirs. So, um, but his was really good. And I, I refer so many people. His is one of my first that I'm like, you have to, let's just start here. Cause you don't have to be into the chakras and all that to listen to him and try to, you know, cause I have one of my friends, she's like, I'm not into all this crap, this chakra and the, you know, I'm not boo-boo. into that. And I judge and I respect where everybody is. Not everyone is crazy hippie like I am. And I know I'm still scratching the surface of all of that, but I go, you know what? Start here. And so I'll send her like Ed Milet, you know, or I'll send her um, the Matthew McConaughey one. And she's like, okay, I resonate with this one. So anyway, so it's, it's all started there. And then with that, it's led into other videos or things or books that get recommended to me or gifted to me. And then I'll find the audio version because I'm more of an audio listener, although I've really started to really respect pages um, and old books that I've picked up a long time ago that I never read. And now I'm going, it's time that I read them. I bought this when I was 20 years old. I was hungry for the information, but I wasn't ready for it. And right. so now it's time to read it. So it's just, I've let myself guide to whatever I wanted to listen to, what I wanted to think. And like Tony Robbins, I'm telling the story to go back all that, but like Tony Robbins was talking one night about a woman's spending habits. Mm-hmm. And it was a financial podcast. And I was like, okay, I know I need to be better with my finances. I need to figure this out. You know, from him, I had to rebuild, you know, from the abusive situation um, when I met him. Um, But uh, when I, sorry, I lost that train of thought. I'm like, did we talk about this in this podcast? (laughs) This one, it doesn't matter. We'll come back to it if we didn't. Um, But anyway, so I've had to learn to rebuild and go, how do finances work and what, what can I do? Cause I want to be financially free and I don't want to have this, you know, everyone's like, you either have money or you're happy. And I'm like, you can have both. And having that healthy relationship with money. And I grew up not having that, even though my dad was a successful entrepreneur and entrepreneurs are all my uncles and they've all had a love for money and they're all happy. It doesn't mean, you know, so I was like, why do I have this feeling? And it all went back to um, listening to this Tony Robbins one night, and I tell this because then it led into we should all listen and learn and guide our true our path to healing where we feel it needs to go. Because mm-hmm. um, the more you dive in, the more accelerated it gets, but that's how you go. So anyway, uh, I listening to it, he told a story about a woman, how someone said something to this woman when, you know, a neighbor or something when she was six years old. And then I was like, that's exactly what happened to me. I, my parents had a big house. 
and my neighbors had a friend over and one of the friends was like that's where you live because they could see it over the fence and I was like yeah and they're like you must be rich rich people are stuck up and as silly as that thing was when I really and I sat for a minute and I was like oh my gosh was that really the one of the roots of my my money thing my money relationships it was and I didn't want to ever be stuck up and again that people pleasing and I'm like I don't want to ever be looked at as someone who loves money or that I'm stuck up and so I can't have this so maybe I can't have money you know (laughs) it sounds so silly and then once I figured out I was like that's gone you know and then there was another time with one of my friends this is where the other the people pleasing side and listening to that that also conjured up this this other memory where I that's when I really understood where I was so fearful what people thought because of this experience. Um, and it's it's a girl I grew up with, and she is just a beautiful, wonderful soul. I love, we haven't connected in a long time, but I, I follow her on Facebook, and she's just this vibrant, vivacious, wonderful woman. But when we were kids, and who knows how I was as a kid, so when I tell the story, it's not to victimize me at all. It's, it's what I remember, but I could have been a little brat. I don't know. Um, but... You probably I, were. I probably was. <laughs> I had my moments. Um, but anyway, so we um, played on the same soccer team together, and my dad uh, was, she stayed the night, and my sister was doing her hair, and um, and somehow my hair was done first, and then she started on her hair and only got halfway through, and then my dad's like, we got to go, we got to race to the thing. So she only got half her hair done, and so she had to be in a ponytail. Well, then she lost it on me and said how selfish I was, and everything was all about me, and I had to have, have the biggest slice of pizza. And like, It was all these things, but I remember it feeling so dramatic to me, traumatic, and like, oh, I don't want everyone to make anyone feel that way. I don't want to and then that, that to, I was so fearful. And then with that, I never wanted to dress better. I'd always dress myself down. I'd always dim my light a little bit because I was fearful of outshining somebody or out um, making someone uncomfortable because of how. And I've got blonde hair, blue eyes. I would fall in that category too. So then I was always trying to like shift that or change that and not be, didn't want to, uh, yeah, didn't want to shine too bright right, for people, right. so I dimmed that. And then those, just that one story he told about one lady about what she was attached to her finances, I found the root of that and and my emotional spending and how I felt about people pleasing. And then yeah. I was like, I got to really address this because I want money. <laughs> I'm gonna be happy no matter what, and I got to stop people pleasing. Yeah, for sure. It's amazing. In talking to you, you use the word root a lot. Mm -hmm. So I feel like you've been doing a lot of work on Mm -hmm. like regression, just going back and looking at the younger you and saying, you know what, where did this particular behavior show up in my life? And and this is Mm -hmm. super key. So for like anyone listening, if there's something that's recurring in your life, you can almost always trace it back to something that happened to you as a child. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, like, what are some of the other things that you've learned about yourself when you start that regression and you look back? What are some of those incidences that you experienced that have maybe created behaviors for you as an adult that you wanted to change or, or, or aren't, you know, proud of? I'm proud of. That's a good question. So, all right, I'll go back to me being on my couch crying. <laughs> go back to that moment. And with that, when I was crying, um, I sent a messages out to some of the people around me and I was like, here I am again. And not seeking, you know, but they were just, we have, I have good authentic relationships with people just letting them know what was going on and then one of my friends she's a healer she's does muscle testing and all that and she she messaged me or we got on the phone and she goes okay I need you to write down everything you want in somebody 
I, you need to write down everything. Don't think, just write, get physical, get emotional, write down everything you want in a relationship. So I went, okay. Um, I wrote it all down. I was talking about emotional intelligence. I wanted independent. I wanted um, financially independent. I mean, I, and I dived into, you know, just height requirements, all that stuff. So I went into all of that. Not wasn't thinking. I was just writing down my ideal guy and sent it off to her. And she goes, okay, now go through that list and mark off the things you do not have. And I went, oh. And she goes, because you cannot ask for something in someone if you do not have it yourself. And that was an aha moment for me. Like, oh, okay. And not that there was a whole lot on there. Like, I put on there that I'd like a guy to cook because I don't cook. <laughs> we need to eat. <laughs> I had that on there. I was like, well, I got to figure out how to cook. <laughs> um, but no, but I mean, it, deep into it, which I didn't understand, is I was dependent on others more than I really thought. And I was also seeking emotionally unavailable men, oddly, because, again, when I talked about my history of marriage and kids equal happiness is kind of what my interpretation of what I had grown up around that, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, I, when you find somebody, you'll be happy. And um, I'm like, well, I can be happy now. I, why do I have, why is that attached to somebody? Even though I was fighting that, that's the way I was. And everything was contingent on um, finding somebody and having that codependency where I relied on somebody for um, to be happy in a way. To, um, like to sort of complete you. Kind of, yeah. There yeah. was always that, like, you complete me. And it's like, no, now I understand that's, that's, a, that's a flawed phrase. <laughs> yes, yes. That's a very flawed phrase. But at the time, you know, that was where I was. But, um, your question. Let me make sure I get back to the question. So, oh yeah. So, uh, wait. Go back to the question. Well, you actually opened up a, a new question. <laughs> okay. So let's dive down this. Okay. So, because you because you mentioned a couple, you mentioned a lot of really key things in in what you said, and one of the things that you were talking about was your friend opened your eyes to the fact that you know what you can't see something in someone else that you don't have mm -hmm. within you, and you know you were talking about dating emotionally unavailable men. Mm -hmm. So at what point did you have to own that and say, well, this is something to do with me. This is something that has to, that I have to take a look at it. This is something that's showing up for me because I'm constantly drawing the same guy. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and what did that process look like for you? Yeah. So, um, with that, when I was crying and it didn't have so much to do with him as it was being sad for him as more of why do I keep ending up here? The common denominator is me. Um, that was that eye-opening moment for me to go, I'm making these choices. Everything's about decisions, and we are all, where we are today in our life is all based on the decisions we made. You know, life happens to, you know, or now it happens for us, but things happen and you have to react, but reaction's still decision, and you have a choice to choose where you need to go. So I went, okay, I choose to look at me to go, what am I doing wrong? And I thought I had done it before, but not to this level. And that, that day propelled me into switching away from music, listening to all the podcasts and really diving in to me. Um, wait, you, okay. Frame that question. Again. I need to write down these questions so that I <laughs> can come back to them and stay on point. Cause then I go on these tangents. So what my process was on how to identify my codependency issues or the unavailable men, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of where we are. Yes, okay. Basically. So, um, 
in that, you reflect on past relationships of going, okay, so I dated somebody, um, you know, my high school, college days, it's not to make them invalid or whatever, but, you know, we're in such a formidable time, and there's a lot of great guys, just wasn't right time, we weren't ready for each other, I was stubborn on all the wrong things, thinking I knew something about something, and we all do, right? I know everything. And you're just kids. <laughs> you're just kids. Yeah. Um, so where that, that real relationship was the abusive one, and whether we want to dive into that now or I'll complete the question and we can come back to it, but um, really understanding how that came to be and then unpacking that, my process to heal up to that point of last year, which last year was 10 years of being out of that relationship. Mm-hmm. So it was a pivotal moment for me, but then leading into um, a relationship with a great guy, but we were just both stubborn on all the wrong things. You know, I'd come from that abusive relationship and now in a relationship where, you know, he would ask me to cook and I was like, you want me to cook? I'm never going to cook. He was like, I, my boundaries were shattered in the first relationship. And then we go to this one and then I'm extreme. Like he's just, Hey, why don't you contribute every now and then? And me, (laughs) I didn't understand that. I was like, what? And then that that was a boundary. I'm like, never going to cook. And I was just stubborn on all the wrong things. And then going after that relationship into what seemed like a great guy, but he had a whole second life and cheated on me with everybody and it was like what the heck but all of those relationships like I thought I was going to marry the abusive guy he proposed within a month then the guy after that I was like there was points where he was looking at engagement rings I think yeah he sat down he's like what kind of one would you want and I was like I don't know are we ready for this you know <laughs> like, I don't know um and there was that scaredness of like am I making the right choice and I'm a Libra I weigh everything and it was like oh is this right or not and then um, then shortly after ending up in that relationship with what I thought was my best friend and we had, we jived really well, we rarely fought. And then I trusted my gut and looked at his phone and I don't want to live that life. And that's not the type of woman that I want to be or whatever. I just trusted my gut and I found a whole other second world that no one around him even knew existed. And he obviously had deep rooted pain. And then we tried to work through it for a couple of months, which was dumb, but I also it was a big learning experience, but that was when I first stood up for myself. So that was another thing there. But, um, really diving in to look at all those things of going, well, that didn't work. And then I, I, I was seeing the thread of um, emotionally, I, I, was, I was attaching myself to them t- so easily and then going, I want to build a life with you. And you can still want to build a life, but I wasn't identifying who I was. And throughout all that, I was molding myself into what they wanted. And I was being whatever they wanted and still having those moments and battles on my own and still trying to figure out who I am. But along the way, it led to weird fights or me not sharing all the truth. And I, you know, wasn't, I mean, I wasn't doing anything wrong, but I was just scared to really speak my mind on various subjects. And then it'd come out where I'd like tell people, but I felt like a victim in a way, or I'd I'd come across as thinking I was a victim. It was just more like, this is happening. And those failed expectations that I failed to voice to them too, you know? So it was identified. There's so many things woven in there that I was really identifying myself where I really went, I, um, yeah. And then another relationship, but was they, there was a bit of emotional unavailableness. There was some brokenness that I was trying to fix. And all of that was me needing to fix myself. Mm -hmm. So that's when I went, okay, I got to focus on me and identify that path. And that's what reflection is amazing. But I think when you don't know where to look, that's where Tony Robbins, Jay Shetty, where, um, who else did I listen to? 
um, those are the big ones, Matthew McConaughey, um, <laughs> where, where all those, you know, Brene Brown and really learning to go, oh, there's that and that. Okay, now this makes more sense. I can now articulate this moment or this feeling that I had this elusive feeling of and I felt hurt by, but I didn't know necessarily how to communicate it. Now I have words to discuss it yeah. and identify it to digest it. Yeah, you have the vocabulary. Yes. Yes. I have articulation. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's not perfect, and I lose my train of thought a lot, or I go down rabbit holes, but it's still, <laughs> I makes can voice for, makes the Makes for feeling. an interesting conversation, though. <laughs> right? Oh, gosh. Just adds to the fun. <laughs> yeah. So I think that you hit on something super key there, though. You, you did this really smart thing. You went back, and you looked at your history, and you, and you used the words that you were looking for the thread. You're looking for the common thread. Mm -hmm. And it, it sounded like you noticed that you were sort of, being the malleable one in all those relationships. Like you were just giving yourself up yeah, so that you could get what you thought you lacked. Yes. Did I hear that right? There, There's words. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be quoting you somewhere on Instagram at some point. Like Jason Archer had this moment. <laughs> he quoted that. That was him. <laughs> yes. Too that, funny. That's exactly it. Yeah, but that's that's such a that's like a superpower, man. Like mm -hmm. honestly, if you know, there's the the whole the whole the whole thought process and saying around people saying, well, you know, if you learn from your mistakes and blah 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 blah, mm -hmm. but so few people actually take the time to learn from their mistakes. Like imagine mm -hmm. the world where people actually learned from their mistakes. Oh my gosh! Imagine how far along world. everyone would be, right? <laughs> There's that YouTube video. Have you seen that where it's the family? Like, what would an emotionally enlightened family be like? I haven't seen this. <laughs> I will send it to you. It's oh, so funny. To. They're like, I don't like that you're doing that. And, you know, they're yelling in frustration. <laughs> I don't like that you say that, but I'm going to go over here because I feel this way, you know? <laughs> <laughs> where normally it's just like, shut up. You know, everyone just says <laughs> right, that instead right. of, I feel this. I don't like this. I'm going to go upstairs and think about this and I'll come back down and we'll talk about it, you know? <laughs> like, you know? Or there's, can you pass that? Or, you know, it's just great. So I'll send that to you. That's so funny, man. So funny. Yeah. So do you think, I'm just curious, like, you know, coming up in, I'm not going to say a restrictive household. I don't mm -hmm. know. I wasn't there. Yeah. Maybe it was conservative, however you want to use the, the terminology. But, mm -hmm. you know, obviously in that scenario, you have this situation where, you know, the father is the traditional provider, mm -hmm. got a lot of kids to take care of, and he's trying to do his thing. And, mm -hmm. you know, as kids, you, there's five of you guys and, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to be in the way and, yeah. you know, and being with, the middle child and being the middle <laughs> child and all the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, is there, do you think there's anything around the idea that maybe that contributed to you wanting to fit your life to other people? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think, I mean, all of it is all a part of the truth. Everything that happens to us, it gets mixed up. And then what spits out, the juice that spits out is what we be, will become. And then from there, you can decipher and change it how you want. And mm -hmm. so until you have that emotional enlightenment. Um, but absolutely. I mean, growing up, you know, they had their religious views that they grew up with. And then it translated us, even though we weren't Mormon, um, it, you know, they had the strong values and the traditional setup and, um, and had that, that lens, um, and not that it's right or wrong. I think that truth, and I still may end up being a stay-at-home mom one day, and I may end up falling. Oh no, that. not oh, that. no, you know, the no. worst thing ever. Yeah, yeah, the hardest job on the planet. Right. Um, but I may still end up what'll look like that type of setup, but it's, it'll just be more of what a truth is instead of feeling like that's the way it's supposed to be because society says it's supposed to be that. Right. So, I mean, that is absolutely led into where, I mean, yeah, 
No one comes out of childhood unscathed. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and, That's you true. know, my poor mother. I'm just going to say this. My mom, with all my Facebook posts, she's like, did you have a good childhood? <laughs> and I go, I had a fantastic childhood. I mean, we had five kids. I mean, my parents were young. Like, they let us watch movies that other kids couldn't. We got to build forts and put staples in the ceiling. You know, what <laughs> kids get to do that, you know? And, and my parents, you know, we were the sugar house, and we were the fun house, and trampolines, and my parents were trying to do stuff with us. I mean, there was... I had a beautiful childhood and all my siblings and I are really close and but we all have those moments in life and um, relationships that we watch around us and we're everyone I and I'm an observant person both internally and externally and always have been since I was a kid and being an empath you feel it so no one gets no matter how great your childhood is you don't get out of it unscathed you you still have like still have shit to deal with <laughs> you know but it doesn't mean so my mother is an amazing woman for the record I had a beautiful childhood yes. but we we just all there's just various things that happened or growing up and with different people in different situations in school and stuff so yeah for sure yeah mom and dad she speaks very highly of you even <laughs> off mic if you're listening she loves you both yes yes yes, yes. <laughs> very cool so yeah. take me um, take me back to one of your relationships. I know that you are a domestic abuse survivor. Is that a word? I, I escapee. Escapee. Yeah, I, I like escapee. <laughs> yeah. I think I used the word escape in one of my Facebook posts. I had it was I'm looking longing in the distance of the mountains. You know, it's a really close up photo. But right. at that time, I was only a few months. It was one of my awesome close friends. Um, he took that photo of me, and that was just a few months after what I call my Independence Day, away from it. And I went back and discussing her in the third person mm -hmm. because who that woman was 11 years ago now is not the same one that's sitting in front of you today. Um, right. So that, I think, was one of the biggest moments in our life. Like, even I was just listening to Kyle Cease today. <laughs> I got, that's all I listen to. But, you know, but and all of them say this, but you, it's always the... We're all so scared of pain. We're also we're trying to avoid pain. But in those moments that we fear the most or that are roughest on us, you know, the mess because of the message, you know, that those are where the turning point comes and we really become who we are. Like there's that saying, and I'm probably gonna butcher it, like a glow stick, the only way for it to glow is it has to be cracked. And how beautiful is that analogy for us as humans mm -hmm. to honor that and go to really know what true bliss is. You have to know what the other side is like. Right. And we all go through, we all have traumas, um, which I, should I say this? Yeah, why I'll not? define this real quick and then I'll go into all of that. But I love Mastin Kip when he talks about traumas um, and we all have our own, you know, traumas and like I said before, like you and I could go through the same scenario. You could shatter your knee and I could break my finger, but the situation around it, the weight could be equal on both sides. Right. Exterior, they're like, Jason should definitely feel a lot more pain than you. It, you just have a well, suck it up buttercup, you know, like the whole thing. But around it, there could have been like I was ignored or I felt betrayed, like um, denied of how I should feel about something and that right. weight could be equal. So... Um, Mastin Kip, he, I love how he defines it. He goes into the DSR. That's the, the I think if I'm saying the book right, but it's basically all of neurological or like depression, anxiety, all that, all those definitions. If mm -hmm. you're just diagnosed with something, that's where it's defined. Right. 
I think by the American Psychological Association or something. If I'm could totally be wrong, you can correct me later. Sounds official enough. <laughs> Sounds official. I sound really smart. Um, and then, then you know, the Webster's Dictionary. But he and he's like, but that doesn't really define it either. And his whole thing is identifying traumas and helping people get through it in real actionable ways. What I love. Again, I'm starving for articulation. And in order to move forward, you have to be able to fully understand it. Words have to come with that to understand it, to digest it, and then move forward. So he's definition of trauma is any experience of threat, disconnection, isolation, or immobilization that results in physical or emotional injuries that dysregulate the optimal functioning of one's body, emotions, brain, spirit, or health. Mm-hmm. So it really is all encompassing, but that honors when people are isolated. I run into so many people where their story is their parents didn't pay attention to them and they were isolated all the time. And with that, they have attachment issues. They are scared or they're either scared to be alone or that's their comfort and they're scared of people, you know, right. or, or it's led to, you know, dependency, attachment issues and all that stuff. So isolation can be that. So anyway, but going into all that, when you asked now. Well, going, that's an interesting definition, though, because like you said, it's all encompassing. Yes. And I think it's important for people to note that, you know, you literally said this all-encompassing could be anything, right? Mm-hmm. And could be anything means it comes down to the story you make up about it. Mm-hmm. And we all have the power to do that. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, if if you're, if it's your finger, my knee, yeah. it just comes <laughs> down to who tells themselves the worst story. Yes. You know? Yes. It is what the dialogue that we tell ourselves. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I love how D- Tony Robbins, you know, you have others, people who are like, don't minimize it, feel it, you know? And then Tony's like, minimize it because... It's teaching you how to go, let's look at this from another angle, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's two different ways of looking at it, but I love that. It's all about For the story sure. that you tell yourself. Um, so going into, I guess, one of my relationships. So that, so the, oh yeah, the point of all this was the trauma. So the, one of the biggest moments in my life was this abusive relationship. It was... Um, and you were pretty young at this point. Yes, I was 21 to 24. Yeah, um, so just a baby. Just a baby, I know. <laughs> Um, but this is the one where he proposed within the first month, um, but I couldn't tell anyone that that happened. I couldn't tell my parents because they hadn't even met him yet, you know, and it's, it just sounded crazy. Cover your ears, parents. <laughs> they know the truth now. That's, that's <laughs> one thing they know. But so it was, it, it was an interesting time. Um, and with that, you know, my saying I used to have was, I will trust you until you violate my trust. And now it's, well, trust but validate. <laughs> and, or you got to build the trust before I'm going to trust you. You know, like, you, I yeah. was so green to the world. And while I had this people-pleasing mentality, part of that was, I want to trust you. I believe in the good. Right. I'm believing this picture you're painting for me right now. And everyone called me gullible all the time. And I was green. And I was like, eh, whatever, you know. Gosh, I so was. It's also you projecting strength, though, right? When you come in, when someone comes in and you're like, well, I'll trust you when you earn it kind of a thing. <laughs> Knowing deep down that's not how you really feel, right? <laughs> right. Where, yeah, where it's like, oh, well, yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That's true. Good call out. I'll let you do that. <laughs> um, so, you know, he comes into my life and he's this charismatic, fun guy. And this was time I wanted to be an actress. And he was, you know, making a film and it was his first film. And, you know, he did very well. He was a, con- a contractor and he put a lot of money towards this and, he heavily pursued me when he first came into my life and eventually I agreed to go. He was 12 years older than me. So there was a bit of apprehension, but also he was cute and nice and whatever. And so I went on this 
date and it was just you know our love is so strong and so silly but you know we're raised we're watching all these romantic comedies and guys sweeping you off your feet and remembering everything that you like and do and then you just you just feel so special and important Mm -hmm. and validated and there's power in that and you feel good in that especially like learning love languages mine is affirm is touch and affirmations so I'm being told all these great things, you know, and then it was, and you know, it just, and touch, you know, uh, sex is, <laughs> I was like struggling with saying that, but that's all a part of that, of uh, manipulation. There's textbooks, it's all textbook, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, him proposing within the first month, it was like, okay, this is it. I'm, I, when you know, when you know, and I, um, but with that high escalating of, or high of feeling so good and um, all the time, but then the lows were so low that he would, when we'd fight, it wasn't just like, let's sit down and talk, or I'm just mad at you, give me a minute. It was explosive, door slamming, locking. I'm mad at you, I'm angry. But by this point, we had this thing that was worth fighting for. And that's the, yeah. And that, you know, and he, by proposing so early, that was this, I have you, that's important to you. You said yes. And now I'm going to defend that decision. Right. I'm going to defend our relationship and I'm going to fight for it. And also being a people pleaser and a mediator, I was wanting to calm him down mm-hmm. all the time. And so it started this battle and it continued to where, Oh gosh, so many, so many things. Um, it continued to where I was now slowly being isolated by family and friends. Um, they struggled being around me and I struggled being around them because they would talk bad about him or they'd tell me I was an idiot. Why are you staying? Why are you leaving? And then I couldn't defend. I could, they knew, I knew they were right. Right. And I had pride. I'm not someone who deals with this yet. I was dealing with it and then not talking. It to only him. happens to other people. Only happens. Yeah. It only happens to other people. You got like, the wrong person. If he hit someone else, if he hurt someone else, that's when I'm gonna, you know, but right. with us, I'm just going to deal with it, you know? And, um, it was hard. They struggled and then I struggled. So with that, it, and then he ended up having a house way on the outskirts of town. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an hour and a half from anything. So, we lived out there for a year, totally isolated, and then it escalated to the point where, um, you know, he controlled everything. He controlled how I wore my makeup, how I did my hair, what I wore, um, and everything. I had to have my phone with me at all times, and he was always scared that I was cheating on him. And I had a sales job at the time, and it was, you know, it was, um, commission only and incoming uh calls coming in and I had to even pick up the phone even though I was on the phone with a customer he had to hear that I was working and then I, when he'd answer you know and I'd talk to him real quick and then get off the phone but I always had to answer even in the shower I had to answer the phone when I was in the shower Jeez. yeah but I was so scared of what was to come if I didn't because his again his lows were so low he I mean just that high I just wanted to avoid the pain of him being so awful and telling me that I was ugly pathetic would never mount anything would never live my dreams and I was all these things but then when he was it was weird there was a shift you know I t- his eyes would go black when he was in these dark moments and he had this dark energy and it was always so hard for me I was like oh one time there was a picture that was captured at, with his eyes like that and I was like oh I don't want I ripped it up I couldn't even look at the picture I was like that 
I don't, there's something there. And women who've gone through it, they know what that look is. And it's Mm -hmm. like, they all, there's like a, their brain is built a certain way um, to think that way. And it's reason one in four women, one in seven men and one in five children. Um, But it, this was the life that I was now leading where I couldn't do anything. And then I was so scared to even have my own thoughts. And so question about that though, always comes to mind is like, Mm -hmm. at what point do you, I guess at what point does the does does the attitude toward one another shift, right? So like you said initially, mm-hmm. he was pursuing you, it was hot, you know, you guys were like really into one another. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden there's a left turn. Mm-hmm. So what was the first sign to of you that? that you know things are going to go down the wrong road here? When he in just in that normal pattern or the first of our relationship that you noticed, like when, when things were good, they're good, right? Oh yeah. But then when, when was the first bad thing or when was the first negative thing that you remember experiencing in that particular relationship? That's a good question. I don't, I don't know if I remember the first. Cause you know, these things like, I I think they tend to happen gradually from Mm -hmm. what I've heard. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, I'm too far in now. I missed all the gradual signals. I'm too far in to, like, just pull myself out. So, you know. Then there's that moment where you get. There's that moment where it's like, oh, shit, I'm that person that I never thought I was going to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, that's a really good question. Because there there were all those turning points um, and a lot of little weird things that would come up. Um, You know, or if someone would call in something or if he started to be out in public and then he that energy would shift and people would call him on it when we'd come home he took it out on me why did why you know why did you make me do that why did you make me say that you know um and not and being you know I've always had long blonde hair and whatever but I when we'd be out if he walked away someone would would come up to me and would be like are you okay are you uh um, you know, or how are you and not knowing. And then he'd be watching from afar. And it was like, I was under this microscope and I couldn't talk or connect, or I was too scared to say anything, you know, cause I, um, and then he'd come over and he'd be like, why did he come talk to you? What did you say to him? What did you, what did you do to get him to come over? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm just sitting here. And talk, but he, there was that extreme jealousy. Blame it on the long blonde hair. Yeah, I guess so. And I, I know, and it's weird that I'd say that, but like that people would always say that to me. They're right. like, oh, you have such great hair. Or you have that, I don't know. So it's, it's silly, but like, I guess that's probably why that came out. But people would come up and want to talk to me and then I'd be real shut off. And then, cause I was so scared of what he would say. And people are people. It's okay that, you know, I don't, at the time I didn't have a ring on my finger, you know, it's, right. yeah. So then it would start this whole thing, and then it was like, no, I'm fighting for us. I'm with you. I don't, I'm not a cheater. Like, I, I'm confused here. And then um, it would, uh, yeah, all these little things. And then I think I remember, I honestly don't remember what triggered it because they started to be where it didn't make sense. Um, in our first podcast, which I can dive into again here, the breakfast scenario, it yeah. was just so random. Like, what was that about so there was some of those moments that would be so random um where he'd escalate Mm -hmm. and so I didn't I there wasn't always a pinpoint but maybe to answer your question of when I knew I was in trouble was um was his energy shifting I just there his eyes would turn I keep hitting this um his eyes would turn that dark color and 
it, there would just be an energy. And me feeling everybody's energy, I was like, oh, God, brace myself. Here we go. It's, it's about to happen. Um, and, uh, yeah, you just never knew when that was going to be. So that's, that, those were the moments where I knew something was wrong. It's just it was the shift in his energy. And, what, and then it was just always like, okay, he's locking up. Like, oh, you know, and maybe one of the moments that I knew I was in trouble was honestly when it turned physical when everything turned physical. Um, he do you was, remember that first physical yeah. Yes, I do remember that first one. So it was all verbal and emotional, and that's what does the most damage. But it's hard for people who've never been through, so the other three-fourths of the people it doesn't, are women that it doesn't happen to, they don't understand it, which is amazing that you don't. It's, a, it's, it's okay that you don't. But here's this lens. <laughs> is, um, the, when you're, the emotional breakdown of belittling you and... The trauma, right? Isolation, immobilization, disconnect, experience of threat. All of that is slowly breaking you down. And you're holding on to whatever pride and dignity you have to push through and persevere through. Um, but with that, just, and not, and he was controlling my makeup and hair and all that stuff long before the physical hit came. Mm -hmm. So imagine all of that to get to that point. He hadn't even physically hit me yet. Right. And then when that point came, I don't remember what triggered it because, again, they were always little odd things. But um, we were watching football and something came up and I was just like, I looked at him. And I just I had those moments of strength and I was like, I can't deal with you right now because he was wanting to pick a fight. And I was like, I can't deal with this. I'm going to go in the bedroom. He's like, no, you're not. And then he I get up from one end of the couch and wrap around the back and he wraps around because we had to walk behind the couch to get to the bedroom. And he wraps around and meets me, and he shoves me so hard I fall backwards and with my back on the tile. Mm. And that's, that was that first touch where I went, I'm not, I'm not a girl that gets hit. I'm not a girl that gets shoved. And so I look at him, and he's like, what? Oh, now you're a battered woman? Now, oh, you don't, ha you don't deal with this? And I went, no. And I pushed past him, and I went back into the room, and I pulled out suitcases. It was like a movie. I started packing the suitcase, and he was unpacking it as I was throwing stuff in it and then he then knew that he couldn't control me but he knew leading up to this he could control with the extreme escalation so then he started to freak out punching the wall he beat the walls to absolute pulp and started punching the heck out of him kicking them putting holes in the walls and then he um, broke my hamper and then shattered the um, armoire. And now at this point, I'm like, oh gosh, now I go back into old patterns of wanting to calm him down and hey, all right, fine. What? I won't pack. Like, I don't want, you know, this is too much for me. I can't deal with this. Like, I want to stop this. How can I help you? Let me fix you, you know? And then it went into this whole thing. And then once he, he realized I wasn't going anywhere, he started to calm down. You're the most amazing thing. You're an angel. I love you. How could I, why do you make me do this? And then it was this whole thing where he's apologizing yet blaming me. And then you just end up in this weird thing. And then that was the start. That was the first physical touch. But leading up to it, you see how manic and crazy that was. He had to train me to be that way right. by the time that hit. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You don't just go from zero to shoving someone onto the floor. No. Yeah. Yeah, no. Otherwise, people would be like, see ya. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was... You know, that was three years before the first hit. And then mm -hmm. I started, I was a big Oprah watcher. He hated Oprah because I start, she gave me words. She gave me thing and examples and things to call out. So I um, started calling him out on, 
on it and he'd get mad and he'd turn Oprah off. Um, but I watched a woman and this was when, this was the real moment I went, oh crap, I'm in trouble. Is I was watching this Oprah episode and I turned to it just as she said, let's look at this clip. And it was a woman shaking and crying in the middle of her living room saying, I'll follow you to tea, I'll follow you to tea. And she's just shaking and it's a close up of like her chest up and just having her hands by her heart, just going, I... I followed you to tea, I followed you to tea. And, he, and then you hear this voice. He's like, tell me you represent. And that was one thing he would always tell me. He's like, you got to represent me. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> um, and I, you know, and it was always just like, you got to represent. You got to be a good woman. You know one better talk to you and, blah, blah, you know, live this, this ex impossible expectations. And I'm going to be mad at you at the end if you're not. And then it was always mad at me and I never won that battle. But um, so this guy was saying, you got to represent. Are you representing? And, and she's just standing crying in the middle of the room. And then um, he, he's saying other stuff to her, and I just remember looking at her, knowing what that fear felt like, because leading up to this point, we're all little points of, we're not little, but all escalations. And um, at this point, he was spitting on me almost every day. He'd get mad at me and spit on me. And then, you know, that's a hard one for a lot of, that was, that was like, you just, what? And that's then just degrading, yeah. Very degrading. So, um, and... Da, da, da. So going back to her, um, then the camera moves down to a lower POV because you can clearly see they're sitting on a couch or something. And the camera goes to a lower POV, so they're looking at the mom. And he goes, tell me you see how pathetic she is. Don't you see how pathetic she is? And she's just scared to death, shaking with her hands together, bawling. And you hear this little voice, which happened to be their 8-year-old son, 8 or 9-year-old or whatever, how, seven, how young kid. And saying, yes, I do. And then he says, hold this. And he gets up and he beats her to a pulp on camera. Wow. And um, then coming back, you know, Oprah wipes a tear from her eye and she looks at the woman and she goes, what started this? And she goes, I asked him if he wanted a sandwich. And it doesn't make any sense. And literally the day before that was I had made eggs and bacon. And uh, I... Um, made breakfast, and then he was asleep. He was out the night before and came in when I wasn't, you know, I was already asleep before he came home, and out to strip clubs, of course, and, you know, paying to be with other women and all that stuff, but um, he, uh, I went to go wake him up, and I said, hey, I've made breakfast for you, and he goes, oh, thank you. It was a loving exchange, good energy, and then I walk in the kitchen, I'm cleaning, but then I felt that shift in energy, and I was like, oh, boy. Here, I was bracing myself. I could just, his walk would be even be different. And I could hear the steps coming down the hallway, and I knew I was in trouble. And so um, he comes out, and he goes, I told you I wanted French toast. And I said, when did you tell me you wanted French toast? And he goes, last night. And I said, I was asleep when you got home. He goes, I told you last night. And he comes around the counter and grabs me and throws me down on the tile and was slamming my head and my shoulders into the tile. Um, and spitting on me and yelling at me and then I was ugly and pathetic and he could have been with somebody greater and prettier and why was he why did he choose to be with me and all of this stuff and he's and then grabs food and throws it and starts going nuts and um, then once he calmed down and then he went uh, he went back and disappeared into a room to write or whatever and I was like okay um, I had to go to work <laughs> so I had to clean up the mess and I quickly, I wiped the spit off my face and retouched up whatever makeup I was allowed to wear. And I went to work. And no one knew. But I wore stuff, obviously, to cover bruises. Um, and then my best friend, she recognized what was going on. And so she, 
everyone else was telling me, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you're, why are you staying with him? And she was the one who would, and just the little things, she would just call out and be like, how do you feel today? You know, how did he make you feel when he said that? And she only knew 5% of what was going on, but it allowed me to feel safe, like I can tell her what was going on. And so she'd meet me after work, and he knew how long it took me to get home, so she'd come like a few minutes before I had to um, head home because we were like uh, clocked, so I had to work until a certain time, but I would unplug just a few minutes early to meet her, and I'd show her pictures that he would leave. You know, he'd leave messages in mirrors like, you're pathetic, you're ugly, all this. He'd leave those on the mirror for me. And then I'd have to clean them up and pretend they didn't happen. Um, but I, one time I took a picture and I showed her. Um, and then at that point, too, he had also kicked me with steel-toed boots two weeks prior to that, or a week prior to that. So I had a massive bruise. I mean, it was the size of a dinner plate that took up my hip and wrapped around. And um, I showed her that bruise. Um, and that was because I hung out with my best friend and her husband and it didn't work out to where he could come and join us. So I went and hung out with them. I chose to be with them. They were in from California. And he um, he was mad about that. And then the next time when I saw him, he was so angry. He had steel-toed boots on, and I was sitting in a chair. And he was so mad, he kicked it and kicked me. And then the whole time he's like, what, are you a battered woman? Did I abuse you? You better not tell anyone that I abused you or that I, you know, you deserved it. You were out all night with your friend and her husband, and you shouldn't have been around another man. And it was all this shame and awfulness. And it was my best friend and her husband. And I'm still friends with both of them today. You know, it's like, what? There's nothing weird there. And But it was just his reality, and that was what I lived in. And so she would meet me. And um, so leading up to that, I had the bruise on my leg that was still recovering from, and then that breakfast incident, and then that Oprah episode. And that's when I knew I was in trouble. That's when I went, holy crap. And this woman, her first hit wasn't until 15 years in their marriage and had already had kids. And he had only started hitting her, I think it was like eight months before that video was done. Mm. But again, it's the verbal and the emotional abuse leading up to it. By the time you're hit, it... You, you can comprehend it, but it's already too late. Yeah, it sounds like uh, with the suitcase incident, for example, mm-hmm. where, you know, you're, he escalates and then you decide to calm him down. It sounds like he knew exactly which buttons to press. Yes. Inside your mind to oh, make you. Oh, and they you pull every, you're scared of everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's secrets that they know and you don't want anybody to know them. It's stupid. Yeah. How much, I'm, I'm curious, though, like how much of the, you know, the things that he said to you um, do you think he actually believed, like, did he, do you think he actually believed that you were somehow cheating with your best no. friend and her? Yeah. I mean, like, it seems like it's just a justification for him being an asshole. I th- that's exactly it. It's <laughs> a form of control. And then all I'm doing is trying to prove and validate that I'm not doing any of that. Right. And it leads into this awful thing. But then meanwhile, he's at strip clubs all the time and putting me in debt using my credit cards, right. <laughs> taking out loans and going to do that and be with other women. And so... He was, in a sense, projecting his own feelings onto me. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's exactly what it sounds like. That's, yeah. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm not any of those things. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. And it's, it's, um, it's hard to hear those things. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, you know, like, what is your relationship with the next guy going to look like? Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, because here's the thing, like, coming out of that, you would think that, someone just be permanently scarred because like at the end of the day, like you were 20, 
whatever, mm-hmm. 20 something, 20 mm-hmm. young, I'm 20 young, you're yeah. 20 baby, whatever <laughs> that was. And, yeah. and he was what you said, 10 or 11 years older, mm-hmm. something 11, like that. 12, yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, he had an unfair advantage over you in that mm-hmm. mentally mm-hmm. he was a little further down the, down the line and he had more experience and mm-hmm. he probably had played this game before with other people. I'm guessing Yep. if it got to this point, my attorney found, um, real quick found, um, two domestic violence on his record before mine and two, or no one, sorry, one domestic violence before mine and two restraining orders prior to mine. Mm. So I sh- could have Googled him and saved me a lot say, of heartache. <laughs> <laughs> background check time, right? <laughs> yeah. But I didn't because again, I was trusting. Yeah, but exactly. Had I Googled, I would have removed that trust. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I would have saw the good. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like he's so good. He might've just manipulated his way around it. Oh, totally. That's, yeah, totally. I mean, it, it, and to answer your question leading up into it, you know, obviously I had trust issues and I had, my boundaries were shattered with him. I had no voice. I had no say. I had nothing. And um, even, there's a part of me that's wanting to tell this story that'll lead into. So this was the most pivotal escalating point. Um, and I was nervous to share it, but there's part of me that's feeling like I need to share this and then going in to answer all of this, but just to really highlight that reality mm-hmm. and what I've really had to recover from, but leading into why I want to help other women and specifically women who have gone through these types of experiences yeah. because I can understand them. I, mm-hmm. and, you know, I tell them too, I have that respect for them where they come to me. I'm not telling them they're stupid. I'm like, you have to do, you're going to choose what you're going to do, but understand here's, here's some tools or here's some things to think about or having, letting them own their feelings. Um, because I was in such a space I couldn't own mine. So it's important they don't. Um, but anyway, so leading up, this was the most escalating point in the relationship before. Oh, come closer. There you so. go. Um, so this was the most escalating point in the relationship was um, he... He was gone all weekend, one weekend. And at this point, we lived in a house. Um, there's a long story there I won't dive into, but ended up in a house that was by my family. And um, in now in town, close to civilization, and that's where all the physical abuse took place. Was in The first shove was in the other house, but we moved into this house two weeks after that, and that's where it all really escalated. So it was um, hard after when we were moving out of that house, it was hard to be in it because it was like there was so much things that happened here. Um, but the, he was gone all weekend, and this is where it really escalated. So at this point, I'm every day, I'm, I'm pathetic, I'm ugly, I'll um, never amount to anything, I'm dumb, I uh, will never live my dreams, all of that. And I was spit on almost daily, I was shoved, I was kicked, I um, locked out. Um, even driving, he would start shoving me into the door. And if I swerved, he got mad at me. You know, I was like, what? yeah, you shoved me. I'm going to move the wheel. <laughs> right. At the time, I didn't know. I was just trying to do everything I could. Uh, but anyway, so this was the life that it just led to. He could just control me. And I was just some, like, insect. He could move around and do whatever he wanted to do. And I was under the microscope burning all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was gone all weekend and uh, left me. And thankfully, I was in town, so I was able to grab food, but he took my car, so I didn't drive anywhere. And I was too prideful to call anyone and ask for any help, and I lived 10 doors down from my oldest brother, but I couldn't even ask for help from him, and everyone tried to respect, and just, you know, everyone was trying to go, we don't want to lose our, 
my sister, my daughter. So we'll keep the peace and just respect whatever space and only go and do an ask. So um, I get a text message. So it was come Sunday night. He, um, I'm in the shower. I had, of course, I always had me up to my phone. I had shampoo in my hair and I answer the phone and he said, hey, can you be out of the house in five minutes? And I said, well, I'm in the shower. I'll do my best. And I hear the door slam. He was outside. And so I went, I'll, I need to get out of the shower. All I knew was that I had to get out of the shower. Suddenly psycho, you know, the movie psycho plays in your head. It's instincts like I have to get out of the shower. I still have shampoo in my hair and I just get out of the shower and I reach for my phone, but I should have called 911. Um, and instead, I was trying to call my best friend because she was meeting me after work and she knew what was going on. And when I was doing that, suddenly, you know, energies, it was weird. I don't know. I should have looked up this, but suddenly the number nine, I'm not even touching. I'm trying to dial and my phone just gets stuck on nine. It's just calling nine. And I was like, what? what does that mean? I don't know what this means, uh, but I need to get out. And I couldn't. And then he's coming back and I'm frantic. And I'm like, I just need someone to hear what's about to happen. And um, he comes through and he grabs the phone and he slams it and shatters it against the wall and starts shoving me. And I'm in a towel. He's shoving me in the bathroom and um, I'm, you know, now hitting up against the cabinets. Well, then at this point now I'm like actually sitting up on the countertop and my back is against the mirror and he's just shoving me, he's spitting on me and he's mad at me and he's all these other things. Cause at this point, but another part of the story, he was mad at my dad because my dad called him out and on certain things. Um, and they ended up having an argument and, um, and my dad was like, if he wants to be in this family, he needs to learn to fight in this family. If he wants something, he comes to me directly. That's the way our family works. And he didn't like that. And so uh, was he was trying, you know, my dad's forcing him like, be a man, come to me. Don't go through my daughter, come to me. Um, and so he was having this battle and he wanted me to be the middleman on certain things that he was asking for. And then also um, friends of mine didn't invite him to a wedding. And I was like, I'm going to my friend's wedding. I'm going to the wedding fine, I can only go to the ceremony, but I won't, I won't do the reception, but I'm going to their wedding. And that ended up being a fight. And I never asked them if he could come because I knew the answer and I didn't want him to come. But he kept going, why haven't you talked to him? And why haven't you talked to your dad? And it was this whole fight and he's screaming and yelling me, spit on me. And then, um, he, uh, so much so that the mirror starts to crack behind me and he looks up at the crack fascinated and then looks down at me and he's like huh well if that hurts you that's not coming back to me he goes how would you feel like it would to be buried out in the desert and just looks at me just so it was like oh my god and at this point I'm just so numb I'm terrified I'm scared tears are streaming down my face and it was just more of I just knew I had this feeling of he's not going to get away with this someone has to know and my friend she was getting documentation she was collecting things I started storing stuff at her house because I knew he was going to damage or take away or whatever so there was all those things now listening to all these other stories like that's what we do is survival so um, I was like and in my head I'm going you're not going to get away with this but I prayed for a heart attack I literally that was a, a way out I didn't want to die I wasn't suicidal I just wanted away from him and the only way I saw a way out was death so it was like well you're not gonna get away with this and that was what was going on in my head and then I started to feel like something else was there and it was that moment where you know in movies where suddenly it's like a POV of yourself where there's I'm not hearing a word he's saying he's screaming at me and it's almost like I'm just in this piece of whatever happens happens just succumbing to whatever's gonna happen and um and then uh 
I just look at him and the only words that came out and he's asking me, why haven't you talked to this person? Why haven't you talked to this person? And I looked at him and I said, I'm scared. But I was telling him I was scared of him, but that was the only words I could say and it was really whispered. And he goes, wait, what? And then he starts to break down and cry and go, oh my gosh, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry that you're scared to talk to them. Oh my gosh, why didn't you tell me? You're an angel. Why do you make me do this? I get so manic. It's, why do you make me do this? It's your fault that I'm like this. Da, da, da. So then he takes me off the countertop. And this is, yeah, takes me off the countertop and then takes my towel off. And then he, I'm crying. I'm motionless. I am covered in spit and bruises forming. And he takes me over to the bed. He has his way with me. And then I'm not looking at him. I'm still crying, looking away at the wall. And once he's done, he gets up and he leaves the room. And then I shower. And then I go to a family barbecue at the end of that. And so, and I had to have this brave face on that nothing happened. And it was this whole thing. And so that was the peak. And that that was like, okay, I'm I'm probably going to end up dead. And so I was just sitting with my family, just grateful for them and loving on them, but realizing my time is numbered mm-hmm. and feeling that like that, that's a weird feeling to go. Holy moly. I, I can't tell them what's going on. I just trust that they'll find the truth when it's time, you know? And so it's just weird feeling anyway. So going into that, then, you know, a week after that, um, was when I say it's my independence where my family and everyone wrapped their arms around me. And it was kind of an intervention, not kind of, it was, um, where my dad was there. He had a gun on his hip and our family friend who's a police officer on the phone. And my sister's crying. My older brother comes and takes my keys and my phone, you know, my aunt's a therapist and she was talking them through what they needed to do. Um, and they sat me down and they're like, you were never to see him. We've already called your work. You're not going back there. And, uh, we told them if they needed to replace you, they needed to do what they need to do. And, uh, but you need help. And um, then my best friend comes over, and then we drive to the courthouse. I get a restraining order, and then we come home, and it's we celebrate Cinco de Mayo that night. You know, it's just all these like crazy extremes. We were, what the heck happened? What is all this about? So it was uh, anyway. So this whole dynamic, and then my parents just drove me to therapy, and I was in therapy from that day forward, and for the next four months of just really trying to digest and whatever and everything that happened, and um, so coming out of that, so now leading into this next relationship that I'm in, you know, I did a lot of therapy and I love the therapist because at the end I was, you know, I had amazing, I did have amazing examples around me of love, of what love should be. And I also had ones that weren't so good. That's, you know, that's also kind of sent me down my path of desiring a strong relationship, but I had to understand that relationship with myself to then lead to others. But um, I had amazing examples of men and relationships around, so that was my grounding force to uh, lead into the next relationship where I was able to open up to love, and it was, you know, my best friend's cousin, and um, amazing man, And but my boundaries were shattered in this relationship, right? And my boundaries were completely shattered, and then going into this relationship where, you know, we were stubborn on all the wrong things, and I learned, I read that languages of love after we broke up, but then his language of love was of acts of service, just my guests throughout it, and he was like, why don't you cook? And me, I was like, you're telling me to cook? I'm never going to cook, and, <laughs> and it led to this whole thing where now I was trying to struggle what a real relationship should look like, and what is that 
what does that feel like, you know, being to the point of being so scared and, you know, being told awful things to now a wonderful, caring man, but now he's asking normal things and I don't know how to react and therefore mm-hmm. I'm, you know, stuck. Gosh, I put the poor guy through so much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like any request could be seen as, you know, domination. Exactly. You know? You're not going to tell me what to do kind of yeah, thing. It's ex- like the pendulum swings, right? Yes, yes. And so it's one where just timing wasn't right with that one, but it was just that was the eye-opening moment for me to go, okay, I need to figure out what's what's right in a relationship. I got all these examples, but I actually have to live it and practice it and Mm -hmm. learn how to be in that and figure out what those expectations are and stuff. So then, then from there, you know, that didn't work out. I think timing and we were just both stubborn on all the wrong things and me particularly, um, and identifying that. That's that's, I mean, that's a huge transition though. I mean, for anyone, Yeah. I mean, even if you had a normal relationship, (laughs) you know, three year, three or four year relationship doesn't Mm -hmm. just go away. Mm -hmm. And then it, and, and if I heard the story correctly, like you would have still been in that relationship had your family not basically pulled you out. 100%. So and I'd probably be dead. Yeah, or there's a strong possibility for sure. Yeah. Or, yeah. I mean, I was dead inside. <laughs> so they yeah. would either be a walking zombie or physically gone. Yeah. yeah. What was it, what was going in your going on in your head at that point? I mean, did you even entertain the thought of just walking away or leaving in any shape, way, shape, or there form? There were a couple or? times I packed up my bags, and there was a point uh, when, so I, I, we had a Great Dane, and, and I mentioned this earlier, but I, we had a Great Dane, and he um, was in an abusive relationship or family before coming to us, uh, and I just, it's one where, you know, he clung to me. We were each other's support, and he was my shadow. And when I put a leash on, he'd freak out. But if he didn't have a leash, he never left my side. He was like that perfectly trained dog, but he was just as scared as I was. We were both, we mirrored each other. And um, he would, this guy would always tell me that I loved the dog more than him. And he'd get mad at that. And one day he got so frustrated, and we were in the backyard on the porch, and he starts, he went to go pick up rocks, and I knew it was going to happen, and I told the dog to run, and he starts throwing rocks and chasing the dog and throwing rocks at him because he was mad that I loved the dog more than him, and he was trying to inflict pain on the dog, and this was before the physicalness happened to me, and I remember he left for a weekend, and he left, or no, for a night, and then after he left, I packed up all my stuff, I halfway loaded it in my car, and then I was too scared to leave. I, all these things of all of his threats of what he threatened to do or say or whatever, whatever I thought control he had over me, and I honestly couldn't even remember what those threats were anymore. But there was that point I was too scared to go, and I unpacked the car. I put everything away, watched a movie, went to bed, and he came home that night. And I, to this day, because later on, think he, he definitely had something to do with why I had to put the dog down I just um, think he kicked him and his hip was out of place and um, no surgeon he's a 150 pound dog and they said that he pretty much had a two percent chance of recovering from that and so I ended up having to put him down and that's my one thing I still really struggle with and I don't know how to if I'll ever unpack that one because <laughs> had I left maybe the he might still be alive today. He was only a year and a half old mm. when I had to put him down. I only had him nine months, eight yeah. months. So um, that's my one hard thing. Obviously. Yeah. I mean, you and he went through a lot together, obviously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But so when you say there was times, that was a time that I, I should have left. And that was. 
but I didn't. And so that led to now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Amazing. 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 You're so lucky that your family took the steps to get you the hell out of there, man. Gosh. Yes. I'm so grateful. I, there's no way I could have been your brother 10 doors down. Like, <laughs> I know. I oh my I would have already been in jail for murder like four times. All <laughs> oh my family. It's so cute. My brother-in-law is like the sweetest person. And my sister, my, you know, my sister was like talking, walking through all these ways she wanted to torture him. And he looks at me, he's like, it scares me the way she's talking, but she's right. You know, it was just, yeah. everyone was so angry at the whole thing but there's a book called the gift of fear every woman should read it every man should read it and if you're in a situation you're listening to this you're in a situation or know someone is page 180 in the book it's called intimate enemies that gives you 35 questions i answered yes to every single question in that book but it's an amazing book it's all real life stories the only fiction to it is the guy had changed out names of people mm-hmm. It's the only false thing about it, but it's all real life stories. And he's head of security for a lot of celebrities and Oprah and works with LAPD and um, been a police officer, you know, over 40 years now, probably. I remember this book. It's amazing. Yeah, Lots saw, of short stories. I saw that. Yeah. And I was like, ah, that's going to be the next audible thing. Yeah. I forget who turned me on to it, but yeah, it's on my list. Oh my gosh. I have yeah. that thing bookmarked and I have, <laughs> if you know anyone that ever goes through a situation, I, I buy books. I have extras at my house and I bookmark them and I'm like, read this first, read this second, read this third. Nice. But breaking that down, it basically highlights the flaws of law mm-hmm. of had I pursued him and it's not you know, the law is there to protect us, right? Everyone's like, go after him, put him in jail, get him off the streets, get him away from people. And the whole thing was talking about how the men who were like that when they go in jail, all they're thinking is, because again, it was my fault that he hit me. Of course. So he's in there going, I'm in here because of her. And then they plot revenge and people end up dead later on. And he highlights a lot of classic documentable real life stories where that happened and in listening to a lot of those in re- or reading a lot of that it was the first time I slept because when all this happened I was living at my parents house and then with the intervention like computers were hidden away cell phone I, there was and house phones were all hidden away like my anytime he called my parents would take me outside like I couldn't hear his voice because again there's that addiction and so I had right. to not I had to be completely disconnected from it and I applaud my family and my parents for doing all that they did. Um, my dad got his concealed weapons license, you know, like, <laughs> oh, like, all right, if this, he comes, we're ready, you know. And I just, oh, my family, I'm forever grateful for what they've done, they did for me. And I thank mm-hmm. God every day that they did that. Um, but it's. Yeah. So the gift of fear when we were going through all that, my grandma's driving Xanax over to all of us <laughs> so that we could sleep. And I was just with me in my journal because that's what my therapist said. She, I wasn't talking to her. I was so shut down. And she's like, write in a journal. And so I was writing down. It was my way of opening up to digest everything that was happening. And mm-hmm. um, so with that, reading that book was the first time I was able to sleep because we were going to go after him. And then, but the whole question was, what does he do when he gets out? And the most he probably could have gotten was two years, but the evidence that we had, and I had photographs evidence of what he did to me and what he did to my stuff um but what does he do at the end of that two years and so made the decision to walk away mm-hmm. and not do anything based on the advice of that book and the book is amazing and so that's yeah read it it's good definitely we'll link that up in the show notes for sure yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah so it's it's just amazing to hear 
that mm-hmm. and then see you today. Mm-hmm. Yes. Totally different person. Totally different person, <laughs> like you said before. Uh-huh. And just this amazing energy, this bright mm-hmm. smile, these mm-hmm. big bright eyes. Mm-hmm. And you went through that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how does that happen? How does that happen? How I know. Happen? I love it. It I love it when people tell me they're like, I would have never guessed you went through that. Right. I love that. But I want that for everybody. And that's not, I'm not putting on a fake smile. It's no longer fake anymore. It's real because I've done the work and I've dived in to understand the root and understanding. I had someone had asked me a question. Um, the, uh, he'd asked me, why did you attract it? And I remember when I first heard that question, I was offended by it. Are you kidding me? I attracted this. I did What are you talking about? Right. And then as we've, as I've evolved and now understood, and the question was asked to me this past January, asked me again, and this time I was able to listen and understood what that meant. And I was in that time where I was really diving in to go, what is the root? Why did I allow it? And then really unpacking that whole, I'm a, I want to fix you, you injured puppy. <laughs> you know, right, right. <laughs> I want you to grow into this awesome, you know, healthy dog. You know, or like I, I want to fix you. I want to help you. I want to be whatever you wanted to be. I want your dreams to come true. Whatever, and understanding that you can't do that for people. It all has to come inside. And so then that's when I went, okay, I got to fix my insights. And it's listening to Tony Robbins and listening to all the, you know, Kyle Cease and all of them just pick one there's a million now and there's more and more that keep coming up find one that resonates with you and throughout it a lot of the same common truths of uh unpacking i call it luggage i like to call it luggage um unpacking our luggage and really identifying what that is and so with that going through it all now all my feelings going where did this come from what did this mean was it society that put us here was it a past x was it um does it serve me anymore? Does it bring value? Okay, what did I learn from it? Do I need it anymore? And asking all those questions to really, and kind of like the Marie Kondo. I did another Facebook post on that where I talked about just unpacking, you know, expectations versus appreciation. And really like, that's what she does. You, you physical things, you're like, do I need this anymore? What did it serve for me? Thank you for what you've done and set it aside gently, yeah. you know, and it's a beautiful concept. And then I was able to go, I can do that with my emotions and mm-hmm. I can go through that, unpack it and then set it aside gently and go, thank you for what you did for me. There's beauty and tragedy even, and all of that and understanding what I went through and seeing that takes strength to go through that. I was not weak. I may have come across weak, but women who go through that, men who go through that, children are not weak. We might feel weak because we're allowing it, but that doesn't mean you're weak. It just means that you, there's a lot of a lot of different things that need to be understood in about the situation. So seeing that and seeing how where I've come today and knowing that I am successful, I I'm I am something, and I will be even bigger and greater. And feeling that, and knowing that, and seeing that strength as I've unpacked and really identified and just lightly setting it, and that all that luggage that I've been carrying all this time is now I'm just setting it aside lightly. It's almost like these pretty gravestones or like headstones. <laughs> like I look at my trail and they're all flowers that I've like, thank you. Here's my flowers and appreciation <laughs> for what you've done for me. But I move forward and my past is beautiful because I'm, I'm attaching what I've learned and what I'm grateful for. And even all that tragedy, I now appreciate people more. I work harder. I love more. I see the world in a much prettier light. And so by doing that, I've, 
turn them all into flowers. And then I look forward and now there's more flowers. You know? That's <laughs> like, beautiful. Yeah. So You're making me cry over here. <laughs> I know. I see Tears that. of joy oh. though. Yeah. Tears of joy. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> That's amazing. And I mean, just sharing your story, I know it's going to, it's going to help anyone who hears it, especially mm-hmm. anyone who's experienced what you've experienced. But um, mm-hmm. I know one of, one of your passions Mm-hmm. you know, going forward is helping other women, mm-hmm. you know, who've, who've gone through this or who may have experienced some level of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe you can unpack <laughs> your mission around that for us and tell us a little bit about what that journey has been like. Yeah. So, um, it was, a I met one of my, who's now one of my good girlfriends. I met her and a year ago in October and, um, she, I picked up in our current, I met her through a friend and I picked up through our conversations that she's we have similar past. She's had, was married before and had kids. And in our conversation, I'm like, Ooh, I, I, kn- I recognize this, but I was brave enough to say, I look at her and I said, it's, um, I think you and I have a lot more in common than you think. And so with that, I just went, okay, I'm sensing, I'm sensing something's going on. I'm going to share my story. And if you and I just started to share a little bit. So what the story I just shared with you in a shorter version, if that's even possible with me sometimes, because <laughs> <laughs> I go in a lot of tangents, but a shorter version. And she was meeting, you know, me pr- prior to this. And she went, wow. Uh, at the end of it, she's like, oh my gosh, yes, that is my husband and this and this. And so she goes, I, you, we're going to be friends. <laughs> and we had this like exchange where we're like, I need you in my life. And she goes, where are women like you? She goes, I've, where I've come in my life, I have, um, I've come so far, but the people in my life, I just kind of feel stuck. They don't understand what I've been through and whatever. So she goes, where are women like you to help take to that next level? She goes, I need you in my life to take me. You're, you're on the other side. You're not jaded by men. You are attracting healthy relationships. You, Which is amazing. I just have to say. Yeah. 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 And, you know, they're not always perfect. Nobody's perfect. But, you know, I'm in such a healthy place. But, again, going back to that list of you've got you to gotta be what you want to attract. And so that's what I was really working on and being in that. She goes, you're on the other side. Where are women? And that's what, that was that moment, that conversation where I went, okay, I've been thinking about wanting to do a woman's group of some sort. I need to do it. So um, just threw it out there and threw, I mean, it was magical. Just threw some women. They couldn't make it, but they referred people. So we ended up with seven of us at a restaurant and just chatted for three hours and everyone opening up and sharing their stories and, and this beautiful soul who would, you know, that kicked off the conversation, you know, she was talking about her shared things or how do you love again? And this is what I battle with. And, you know, and everyone's like, well, think about this. And it was just this raw organic thing where we all came from different backgrounds. We were different races and we all connected and had this beautiful thing that happened this organic beautiful energy that happened that day where we were I think we were all changed from that and and I said to them I said you know I explained where it all came from I said but at the end of the day this isn't this isn't my group this isn't me creating it this is just the collective that needed to be created and I just so happened to pick a location and a time for us to meet so know that the credit is not due to me this is something greater that needs to happen today and this is you know this is ours today this is about us Mm. not just it's not about me and then it's and then it went into the next month of and we end up with a whole different group of women and ended up sharing amazing stories and um and I'm trying to protect this woman she's never told anyone so I don't want to go into the details but um you know they're just some amazing stories of 
women who didn't know that they were in this type of situation Mm -hmm. until me sharing my story and she really resonating and had never told anyone that that's how her husband was. Mm. So really diving in and connecting, which was amazing. And so with it, it's, I don't know, you know, should be, anyway, so I know I'm going in all the, all the thing, but anyway, so, um, that it's, I want to help other women identify and you do that through story. And so by me sharing my story, it allows other people to be vulnerable and not judge to go, wow, she's admitting that she was vulnerable. She did allow that. She understood that she was insecure, that she, I feel all of those things then they feel comfortable to admit it. And so I want to help other women find that truth and find that strength. And so how it looks, I don't know. Right now is those two times that we got together and started to create a Facebook group and I got to build it up and figure out and have it organic. And so, yeah, that's the start of it. It's a work in progress. Like I'm a work in progress, but we'll get there. That's beautiful. I love that. And I'm happy to support you any way I can in that. Thank you. If you need help don't be prideful yeah (laughs) (laughs) just reach out and ask (laughs) yeah thank you thank you thank you absolutely so I'm curious you know after hearing your story knowing that you're doing super well today Mm -hmm. you know that you're bright you're happy you just closed on a new house you got all these fantastic great things happening yes 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 yeah what does success look like for you today success look like for me today it is self-love I think, so I mean, self-love, People, there's the cynics out there that start to write things and like, no, it, it really is about when you can be centered and okay with being a work in progress, if you can be okay with honoring and giving yourself permission to feel and not have to put the mask on and giving yourself permission to put boundaries and not allow people to, um, to take over and finding your truth, I think that's where success starts. And really, that's for me, you know, it's not about money. It's not about status. It's not about the house or the cars. It's, um, that's not success. Now, one day I, I like nice things, so those will come. And my house now I love, but, um, but it's true self-love and that reflecting and having rich, solid relationships and finding that tribe to get through life together with and helping each other live the life that we all want to live and whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And, and in all parts, spiritual, emotional, financial, you know, relationships, work, whatever, whatever gives us purpose, living that purpose. Mm, so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. So before I ask my last question, mm-hmm. tell everyone how they can get in touch with you. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, just, just me, girl from Arizona <laughs> <laughs> on this path of self-discovery. So where it all leads, I'm not entirely sure yet. Um, but I have an idea. Uh, so I'll build there, but, um, my Facebook, you can find me. It's, um, the easiest way is Sean, S H A U N dot M as a Mary. That's actually Michelle. Sean.m.johnson. Um, if you search that, then you'll find my Facebook page. You do have to friend request me. I need to make it public so people can just like follow. And not mm-hmm. that I have hit the 5,000 friends, but I, I see that for some reason happening at some point where it'll just have to be followed. And then uh, Instagram is Shawnee, the number four. So it's S H A U N I E, the number four. Beautiful, beautiful. Mm-hmm. So last question is always the same, and that's simply this. What does wellness look like for you? And I'm really curious about your answer on this one, knowing yeah. what you've been through. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. I feel like it's the same as success. Yeah. Wellness is, uh, well, being well for me is 
has been truly unpacking everything. So I haven't spoke my voice. I have held back on what I feel and what I think and blocked that from others and myself, not living my truth and hiding my truth. So with that, I ended up with scoliosis in my neck and degeneration and arthritis and always struggling and bone spurring and wanting to hit. And as I've unlocked that over the last year, that's my neck is healing. I'm an inch taller. <laughs> no joke. It's weird because I had scoliosis. My spine is straight and wow. I'm, it's all, I'm feeling lighter. I'm now five, six and a half. I've been five, five and a half since college because mm -hmm. I've had scoliosis and everything just slowly tart. And, and, but now that I'm freeing that, so that's wellness because we trap emotions in our body and letting that free, living our truth and figuring out who you are and what you want and and everything else kind of falls into place. So, 100%, yeah. And choosing to, you know, I choose food and people and energy that will be well for me and well for others. So mm. I guess that's kind of where I'm at as far as what does wellness mean to me. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think you touched on some key points there in that, you know, it's not just a physical piece. There's a mental mm -hmm. piece. There's mm -hmm. an emotional piece. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, the scoliosis piece, because, mm -hmm. you know, you had an emotional blockage that resulted mm -hmm. in a physical gain, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is really just proves the point, uh, you know, that yeah. we have to take care of ourselves both inside and out. Yeah. And I know I had physical trauma, like even in the relationship and there's a lot of physical trauma and movement and stuff. So that's where I thought a lot of it started too, but I think it was a mixture of it all. hundred percent. That was yeah. the root of it all. Mm -hmm. Had to be, had to have something to do with it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank I really, really, really appreciate you being in my circle now. Mm, yes. And I uh, appreciate <laughs> you sharing your story. Yeah. I know it will impact anyone who listens to it mm. um, as much as they'll allow it. So thank you for that. That's super brave. And um, guys, if you haven't met Sean, be sure, <laughs> reach out to her, friend yes. request her. And yes. if you've got uh, something going on in your life that's similar to what she went through, she's going to be a super valuable resource for you guys. Mm. Reach out to her, connect with her, and dive into her world, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> that's going to do it for this episode of Hardwater Radio, guys. As always, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you guys. And if you're vibing on this content, be sure and help us grow the tribe by liking, sharing, subscribing, and by all means, leave us a comment on your favorite podcatcher. Let us know what you like, what you dislike. And if you are someone out there who would like to tell your story, we are a collector of stories here. Shoot me a message, jason at hardwater.com, or pick me up on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, whatever works for you. And I'd love to have that conversation with you guys. Until then, this is Jason Archer signing off, reminding you to remember your future.